Well, again, it's my honor and pleasure to be able to open God's Word once more today as we come to the close of the Sabbath day. They turn this evening to Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10, and we'll read through verse 20. So turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning at verse 10, this is God's holy word, as he inspired the Apostle Paul to write, in this case, to the church at Ephesus, as he writes from prison uh, later in his ministry. This is the imprisonment uh, which we read about toward the end of the book of Acts. But this being inspired by God, it is the infallible, the inerrant word of the living God as it was given to Paul, and so let's attend with reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Again, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Well, this ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time, and may we pray for its reading and its proclamation and its hearing. Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, we do come before you humbly this evening, thanking you once again that you did not leave us as orphans, but that Christ sent his Spirit, and that the Spirit brought to mind the apostles, all that Christ taught, and many things besides. We Thank you that no prophecy ever came by the will of man, but men were carried by the Holy Spirit. And so we have an infallible and an inerrant word that we can look to to guide us as we seek to serve you. So we ask, Lord, that you would guide us by your word this evening, that we might be enlightened by it, 
and that we might grow up thereby to the fullness of the image of Christ Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, the apostle gives us some specific commands regarding how we are to live out the unity of God's church with the diversity of gifts and uh, with the different uh, abilities that each of us have, the different roles that he's given and assigned to different people in different places in life, whether in ordained office, amid the congregation in general, in marriages, in parent-child relationships, in work relationships, and in his day, the master-servant relationship. Christian faith in all of these things changes the way that we treat and think of one another. Paul does not claim living these things out is going to be an easy task. In fact, the more we live out God's high calling for each one of us in our individual roles in life and with the individual gifts that He's given us, the more Satan, whom He calls that spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience, that prince of the power of the air, the more He and the world system in general under His influence will oppose us. The whole world system under the power of sin and of Satan, will try to make your growth in godliness as difficult as possible. And for anyone who's been a Christian more than a short time, you know this is a fact. So you need to be prepared, and you need to be prepared to do battle, as it were. Paul uses military language here, just as he did in our passage from 1 Corinthians this morning. Now, a whole series could be preached on the topic of spiritual warfare, and we could get at least one sermon out of each of the pieces of the whole armor of God that we're going to be talking about here tonight. But my intent for us this evening is to give an overall picture of the whole armor and how these things, how these pieces of armor work together. It's probably not a mere coincidence that at the time that Paul wrote this, He was, as he says in verse 20, an ambassador in chains. We know at the end of the book of Acts that Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And Bible scholars believe this letter was written during that imprisonment that ended in Rome uh, with Paul under that house arrest. So either Paul wrote this letter from Caesarea where he was initially held and uh, he was under Uh, the excuse was protective custody to begin with, and surrounded by Roman soldiers, or much more likely he was in Rome itself under house arrest. And typically that kind of custody involved a soldier, because Paul by that time had appealed his case to Caesar, Uh, he was taken to Rome, and the kind of custody he was under would have involved a, a soldier being chained to him. That's probably what Luke is referring to in Acts 28, 16, when he says Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. There would have been a rotation of soldiers uh, on each shift, at least one chained to Paul. 
If that's the circumstance under which this letter is written, it's hardly surprising that when by God's providence the apostle was in constant contact with Roman soldiers, that he might start talking about a soldier's armor and equipment. He says here in verses 10 and 11 again, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Notice when he says to be strong, much as we saw this morning. It's not our strength on which we rely. It's, you can't rely on your own strength to be strong. You have to be strong in the Lord. It is the Lord's strength. If success as a Christian depended on my own strength, I would have failed much more miserably than I have already in my life, in my Christian walk. I wouldn't have made it one day, nor would you. But it's God's strength. It's in the strength of His might that we stand. Christ already crushed Satan at His crucifixion and His resurrection. The victory has been won. But Satan still prowls around like a roaring lion, as Peter tells us. He's, as it were, in his death throes. He's been dealt his death blow, but he's still rolling around. And he's trying to cause as much harm as he possibly can. I don't think that it's much of a coincidence that if anybody ever reads old myths and legends about uh, dragons, that dragons... Uh, always try to do as much damage as they can while they're dying, often killing the warrior who slew them in the process. Is a dragon is an image that we find in Scripture of Satan himself. Satan is trying to cause as much damage as he can because he knows he's already lost. So we are through Christ able to participate in Satan's defeat if we are strengthened in the Lord. Romans 16.20 says that God will crush Satan not just under Christ's feet, but under your feet, Paul says to Christians. In Luke 10.19, Christ gives his disciples authority to tread on scorpions and serpents and not be harmed. That's imagery of defeating Satan and his kingdom. But you can only do this if you're relying on Christ's strength and not on your own. Biblical truth, as we'll see, is what actually defeats Satan. The Christian is to put on the whole armor of God. So first we note it has to be God's armor, not our own. It's God's armor. And you have to rely on it totally. It has to be the whole armor. It can't be piecemeal. It has to be the whole thing. Otherwise, the schemes of the devil, who was the subtle and wily serpent in the garden, can get to you. Christians are encouraged here by Paul to stand. We see that in verses 11 and 13 and 14. Stand is repeated. The picture is, much as we saw this morning, of a soldier standing firm to face the charge of an enemy. And you need to remember the enemy is not primarily the unbeliever. 
Certainly unbelievers are in enmity with God, and so would each one of us be if not for God's grace. But your primary enemy that Paul is talking about here is a spiritual enemy. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So the problem isn't people, Paul's saying, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now that term wrestle there, he says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against something else, right? That term wrestle refers to hand-to-hand combat, a constant struggle to gain advantage over one's opponent without getting entangled with or by him. You've probably seen Greco-Roman wrestling. It's a fierce struggle not to get held down. It's not, for especially our young people, it's, it's not professional wrestling, so-called. <clears throat> Sports entertainment, as it's sometimes called. I, as an aside, I'll say I remember sometime, was it maybe in the 90s, when we started allowing our professional basketball players to compete in the Olympics, and all of a sudden the U.S. was winning all the gold medals in, in Olympic basketball. Michael Jordan was playing for us. You know, that's, that was pretty impressive. There, I remember seeing a skit, a comedy skit, where they said, well, we're also going to allow our professional wrestlers to compete in the Olympics. And it showed somebody wearing a mask, and he pulled a, a steel chair out, folding chair, and hit his opponent. That's not the kind of wrestling that we're talking about here. This is, this is a grappling, trying, trying to hold down your opponent and not be held down by him. That's the kind of image that Paul is using for our struggle against these spiritual forces. It's a constant struggle. It's not easy. It's hard. And your opponent has some advantages. Your opponents are not physical. They're spiritual beings. Doesn't how doesn't matter how many days a week you work out at the gym, that's not going to help so much with this kind of struggle. They're not subject to human weaknesses and frailties. They're demonic beings, they're fallen angels, they're cosmic powers. They're super mundane, to use the fancy term. They're beyond our ordinary world. That's what Paul probably means when he says that they're in heavenly places. He's not saying that they're in the place of the redeemed or the throne room of God. He's saying that they're beyond this world. So Paul reminds us again, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Using that same verb we dealt with this morning. This armor is necessary in order that you stand firm. Now, I mentioned they have certain advantages, the the cosmic powers that you're wrestling against. The great consolation we have, of course, is as John says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But he's given you this armor The one who is in you, who is greater than he who is in the world, has given you this armor to employ. And it's necessary that you use it to make it through the evil days of this fallen world still standing firm. 
Specifically, Paul tells us how to stand. In verse 14, he says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Literally, having girded up your loins with truth. We know probably the familiar expression from the Old Testament when someone is said to have gird up his loins. It, it refers to, in Old Testament times, men wearing a bit of a longer skirt-like garment and pulling it up between the legs, tucking it into the belt so that his legs now can move for action. He can run. He can fight. The ancient soldier in Paul's day would have worn a sort of loose-fitting tunic, and this belt cinched that up doing essentially the same thing as girding up the loins, keeping the material out of the way so that it doesn't trip you up when you're fighting. It was also the resting place, as I mentioned this morning, for the sword and other equipment when not in use. So it's something that everything else depends on. And for the Christian, that thing that everything else depends on on your life of struggle against these spiritual forces is the Word of God. It's the belt of truth. And Jesus tells us in John 17, 17, when he's praying to his Father, he says, your word is truth. So we know this is the Word of God we're talking about here. Stand there having girded your waist with truth. We'll see here in a little bit, the sword is also the word of God. So God's word is that on which everything depends. As we'll see here in a bit, it's also the only weapon that you need or have. It prepares you for battle, though, to begin with. It ties up the loose ends of your life so that you might not be tripped up or entangled slowed and left vulnerable. Next comes the breastplate of righteousness. So he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate for the ancient soldier was a piece of armor that covered the whole torso. The best ones were overlaid with bronze or steel or iron. It protected the vital organs. Righteousness is that breastplate for the Christian. Of course, we depend upon the righteousness of Christ for our very standing before God. Christ clothed you in His righteousness if your faith is in Him. But also then there's your own righteousness, your obedience to Christ as His servant as you seek to serve Him. That's what protects you against the deadly attacks of the enemy, the, the, his attempt to stab at your heart, as it were. His righteousness of Christ and your own righteousness, working in obedience to Christ. It's a topic for another sermon, but that also cannot be by your own power. You don't get saved by Jesus and then pull yourself up by your own spiritual bootstraps. You have to depend on the Holy Spirit for that as well, for your sanctification. But that progressive sanctification is necessary to protect you against the deadly attacks of your enemy. Lack of godliness leaves you vulnerable to the attacks that Satan will aim at your heart. We succumb to temptations. 
The more holy and Christ-like a Christian becomes, the more and more likely he will resist the devil's temptations. Well, next we see in verse 15, as I said, we could just spend all night on any one of these, but in verse 15 we see, "And and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The Greek literally says, having shod the feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Roman soldier had thick-soled shoes with studs on the bottom of them. The studs gave him traction in the earth so that he could stand firm. Even when a charging enemy was plowing into him, the gospel which declares peace between sinners and holy God gives confidence to stand firm. If Satan were to speak to me and say, how dare you think you could stand against me? Well, I can't, but Christ made it possible. I can stand on Christ. I can stand firm with Him holding me up, with the gospel that has made peace between me and my Holy Creator. Of course, I don't dare come into the presence of my Holy Creator on my own merits. But I can on the merits of Christ. He clothes me in His righteousness. He's made peace between me and my Holy Creator, and so I can stand firm. We don't rely on our own strength to stand against Satan any more than our own works got us in to God's kingdom in the first place. But you can be confident in your Savior God, sovereignly to cause you to persevere. Next, you're to take up the shield of faith. And we're told to do this in all circumstances. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The word that's used for shield here is a particular type of shield. It's not like the little round buckler that you might see in the movies occasionally, but if you see a film that actually accurately depicts a Roman soldier, you might have a picture of this. It's a shield that's about two and a half feet wide and four and a half feet tall. It was designed to protect the whole body, especially as the soldier was crouched down a bit with the right foot planted behind him for greater firmness. And again, that foot is going to be dug in to the earth. Constant trust in Christ, the shield of faith. Constant trust in Christ gives the Christian a general and wide protection from temptations and from the wiles of Satan and his servants. Sin happens when you believe the devil's lies that God doesn't see, that Your momentary pleasures are better than communion with your Creator, and so on. Those temptations are hurled at you like fiery arrows, like fiery darts, Paul says. The Roman shield was often covered in a leather cover that was pre-treated to extinguish flaming arrows if they were shot at the soldier. You extinguish Satan's fiery darts 
with faith, with trust that God's promises are better than the fleeting pleasures of sin. Well, next Paul tells us to take the helmet of salvation. One of Satan's greatest weapons against the believer is to get someone to doubt his or her salvation. What a painful thing it is for the one who's doubting, but also for any other Christian around that person who, who loves him or her and sees that, that I see all these fruits of saving faith in your life, and yet you don't believe you have it. That's why our confession says that assurance of faith and salvation is not something that is absolutely necessary. That is, that, that it's something that doesn't, isn't so tied with salvation itself that everyone who is saved actually knows that they're saved at any given moment. But assurance should be normal, that we should gain assurance normally in our Christian walk as we, as we grow and we, as we see the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit's work from within us, then we can more and more be sure that indeed, yes, I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And if I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit, I must be one of God's elect. But one of Satan's greatest weapons to keep us from growing in righteousness, to keep us from growing in Christ-likeness and from serving Him effectively in the world, is to get us to doubt that we actually are one of Christ's people. And so Paul says we're to wear that salvation as like a helmet, protecting our heads from those assailing doubts. And you can only do this if you see yourself bearing the fruits that come from salvation and, and examine yourself honestly. Peter tells us that God's power guards us for salvation, that we might see the tested genuineness of your faith. 1 Peter 1.7 when you see your faith actually surviving tests, well, then it is a genuine faith. When you see the fruits of saving faith and obedience to God pouring forth from your heart, you have assurance that you are saved. And you can wear that assurance as a helmet that protects you from the doubts that Satan would speak into your ears, as it were. Well, lastly comes the only offensive weapon in your arsenal, and it's the only one you need. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The only offensive weapon that you have or need is God's Word. It was God's Word that Jesus Himself used when Satan tempted Him in the wilderness. The truth of Scripture drives Satan to retreat as you demolish strongholds of false teachings and hold every thought captive for Christ, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10. Now, how do you use this armor? We know what the armor is, what it means, what Paul's talking about here. We, at least we have some ideas. I said we could get a whole sermon out of each of these pieces of armor. But how do you use it? Well, Paul says here, prayer is integral to employing this army, this armor, rather. You can dress in the best armor, but if you just stand there and don't move, your enemy can still find chinks in that armor, and he can still get to you, he can still defeat you, he can still slay you. 
But here's how we use that armor. Paul says in verses 18 through 20, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Praying always, praying frequently, Paul says, praying at all times, praying in the Spirit, keeping your prayers in accord with God's revealed will, as the Holy Spirit revealed in Scripture, using every kind of prayer, with all prayer and supplication, Pray in a manner that's aware of what's going on, being watchful, as he says. And also, he says, to that end, keep alert, rather, with all perseverance. So pray persistently, making supplications for the saints. So praying for God's people, and especially for those who preach the gospel and who, like Paul, suffer for it as we pray especially for missionaries who are in parts of the world where it isn't so easy to come publicly together to worship as we get to. As Paul desired boldly to preach the gospel even though he was in chains for it. Your duty of maintaining the unity and the purity of the church is opposed by hostile forces. Your personal growth is opposed. It is an offense to Satan. But the cross of Christ and his resurrection have defeated the serpent. Satan cannot touch Christ. And so he seeks right now to take his anger out on all of Christ's people. Anyone he can get to. Particularly, he delights in leading you into error and sin if he can which stunts your spiritual growth, grieves the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. But God has given each one of us defensive armor and this sword, this weapon, to defeat Satan's attempts to harm our spiritual lives. Everything hangs on knowing God's word, the belt of truth. Then we implement it. Your obedience guards your heart, the breastplate of righteousness. Stand firm, knowing peace has already been made between you and your holy creator, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You're guarded by and you quench the lies of Satan through trust in Jesus Christ, the shield of faith. The fruits of obedience give you assurance of salvation to defeat doubts, the helmet of salvation, And you drive back Satan's temptations and arguments with God's word, the sword, the spirit, which is the word of God. All these things work together when you employ them by vigilant prayer to protect you and to advance Christ's kingdom. May we pray. Lord, grant that each one of us would dress in and employ this whole armor vigilantly, carefully, prayerfully, 
Keep us relying on your word and obediently growing in it that we might resist all the schemes of our enemy, which is not flesh and blood. We thank you that Christ has already defeated him and that he's given us the means to protect ourselves and to serve him as we seek to grow the church through faithful service. Help us to employ this army, armor rather to that end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.